With the launch of the World Wide Web, people and businesses have connected like never before. Evolving technologies such as AI and blockchain have advanced our ability to get stuff done faster and more efficiently. The complexities and challenges of governance have become more dramatic over time. But since the standards boards agreed on our current hypertext protocol for Internet data, we've not seen a major advancement in online technology. Until now, the spatial web is at our doorstep and it is a complete game changer. Imagine a 3D internet where the vision of the internet of things becomes a reality. Now imagine this new world where power is given back to the people and central authorities have less of a say in how communities operate. Today, we've got an amazing conversation with Dan Mapes, co-founder of the spatial web to discuss all of this and more. Is the future dystopian or utopian? We happen to think it's bad cryptopian on this episode number 692 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Who's bad? Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. It's for the crypto curious, the crypto serious, really curious about all forms of emerging technology. And Sir Lord Travis Wright, I, I am so excited that we finally, finally got Dan uh, to agree to come on the show. And I'll tell you, this interview is mostly him. He has so much to say. I know. I think the very first, like, 10 minutes of the interview. I don't even know if I've even said a word yet. <laughs> I was just like, so like, we're like, okay. And uh, I'm going to cut you off here, bro. Cause you got words. So I'm going to say a little something in here. I think I cracked the joke in there, but no, all things aside, this guy is brilliant. And really his definition of, you know, web one, web two, where we're moving. Like we, people say web three, they throw that around. But really, if you look at it, TCICP was generation one of the internet, kind of, for the most part. Mm -hmm. HTTP was internet two, really. And now here we are with coming up with HSTP, which Dan's going to talk about, which is probably the true Web3. And so, I mean, this is fascinating. So put your hats on, sit back, listen, and put your thinking hats on, because what you think you know about Web3 might not actually be what you truly know. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to get right into it. And Travis, I think well, while this interview is playing, maybe you and I talk about a special NFT to commemorate this, because I bet your creative juices could uh, could flow around this. I got no juices. All right. Well, we'll see you guys after the interview. Here we go. We're really excited about this interview because we've been telling you guys about the next iteration, the next protocol, the next web for months now. And we have been promising you that the founder of Versus IO would be joining us. Well, guess what? He's here. Mr. Dan Mapes is in the house. Dan, thanks for joining us here on Bad Crypto. Uh, thanks, guys. Great to have. Great to be here. Glad, you, glad to have a good, good conversation about all this. This is um, there's so much to talk about here, and you are a man who is not short on words. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to get to the nut of what the spatial web is all about and how this is going to change everybody's life. But I think the good place to start would be with a little history. So why don't you give us the Reader's Digest version of who Dan Mapes is? Uh, yeah, I come from an engineering family. My grandfather was a key engineer at General Motors and patents and all that kind of thing. My dad's an engineer at General Motors. And uh, so I grew up in an engineering family. And uh, uh, But it was obvious the engine of my generation wasn't going to be an, a car engine. It was going to be a computer engine. So uh, 
So I focused on uh, computer engineering, software engineering, ultimately, and, uh, you know, did multiple degrees, uh, bachelor's, master's, and then uh, was awarded a fellowship to do my PhD in uh, systems theory, uh, uh, expert systems, AI, which was kind of a crude version of AI in the 80s that was around. But uh, nonetheless, it got me really thinking about uh, all this stuff. And it was pretty obvious to me, even as a student, that uh, the ultimate piece of software would be software that could rewrite itself based on what, what it's learning. And so that would be a kind of a different kind of an AI than an expert system, which is what we're doing now, and which even which is what really what a large language model is, where you basically build a software machine and you load it with information and then you can query the machine. An expert system, it could be, hey, I've got a seven-year-old uh, boy here with uh, red dots all over his face and running a light fever and the expert system is probably measles, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're doing the same sort of thing with OpenAI right now. Hey, uh, tell me the history of uh, the Los Angeles and how it was founded and uh, blah, blah, blah. And it'll, it'll give you something, you know, uh, but these are machines. That's not really, you know, what the hell 9000 is or data or Jarvis. They're not really machines. They're really uh, uh, sentient uh, entities that really are kind of like digital organisms. They are learning by the interaction and the conversation. They're rewriting themselves as they go along. And so, uh, so I got really interested in this, and this area is called autopoiesis, A-U-T-O-P-O-E-S-I-S, uh, if anybody wants to uh, dive into Autopoiesis, okay. Yeah, it's a nice theoretical structure. What it really uh, stands for is um, uh, how animals... Uh, self-evolve. So babies are born. They don't have a very big world model at the time. Uh, they, their world model includes their mom and their room, maybe. Then as they get a little bit older, they're, they're crawling around the house. They map the whole house and then they can walk. They can now they go outside and then they can ride a bike. They can map the whole neighborhood. So they're self-evolving. We don't have to wait for GPT-2 to get GPT-3 while they build a whole new kid. No, no, no. The kids are learning every moment, every day. Uh, so that's what we want an AI to do. So um, uh, so these are autopoetic uh, uh, software structures. And uh, I was studying uh, with uh, Eric Janch at the time, who's an uh, Austrian astrophysicist. And he was really, uh, he wrote a really cool book called Design for Evolution. So it kind of infected me with the idea. And then, um, so uh, it looked like uh, where things would go would be kind of a, um, a big internet of uh, virtual worlds because why virtual? Because we have binocular vision. So the interface should be binocular. So we have depth perception and the software would be AI. So I just called the project VRAI, VRAI, which stands for truth in French and uh, Veritas, you know, the whole thing. And so um, I built a lab uh, instead of staying in the university system. I built a, a, a lab in Silicon Valley and um, uh, to experiment on how we could build uh autopoetic uh, virtual environments and network them together you know in a really cool way and so we did experiments in networking we did the first summit meeting on for the united nations with nelson mandela and shimon perez uh, we did a lot of work in data structures we wrote the databases for the human genome project uh, we did a lot of uh, digital avatars we did tony hawk pro skater and a lot of other big games and so we were at the cutting edge and we kind of copied mit's media lab and uh, built a uh, media lab in Silicon Valley, but it was entrepreneurial and um, therefore it could incubate ideas and then spin them, spin them out as companies and then uh, monetize them in various ways. And so Gabe, uh, Gabe, uh, who's the CEO of our, of our company, came to work for me when he was uh, 20 and uh, Cap, who heads, Capham, who heads up our um, our uh, development team uh, uh, also came to work for me after we graduated from USC, and uh, and, uh, and and that was uh, 25 uh, years ago. So um, so we kind of all kind of have been on this vision quest together, and uh, but it was it was impossible to actually pull it off until now, um, and the reason is it has to do with bandwidth and uh, and chip speeds. So uh, when the internet was invented in 1969, 1970. Um, the idea was, could we make a network of different kinds of computers before the 
deck computers wouldn't talk to IBM computers. You know, they were all siloed. Could we make a network that allowed all the computers to talk to each other? And so they came up with this idea of give every computer an IP address and then give it a protocol so they could send little text files to each other. We call that email. <laughs> uh, oh, the computers are unaware that that uh, I'm sending you an email. The computer just feels like it's sending a text file to your computer. That's all it knows. And mm -hmm. so that that's really uh, all TCP IP enabled really was uh, these little text files to move around because that's all the bandwidth uh, th that could be handled at the time, uh, both within the uh, computer itself in terms of the chip speeds and in terms of the network, right? I mean, it was really slow in those days. And then, so by 1980, when the PC uh, revolution really started to get, take hold, Apple hit a billion bucks and, uh, and then the IBM PC came out in 81. Well, then uh, uh, email really uh, blew up really big and uh, people were buying modems and buying computers and it was one of the big killer apps. You've got um, mail. Yeah, exactly. So then Tim, uh, Tim came along and um tim berners lee you're speaking of yeah tim berners lee came along and he's there so there were two paths to go forward either the aol path where you get this cd-rom and you're on aol's platform or tim berners lee's path where there is no platform there's a protocol just like the thing that created the original internet mm -hmm. tcp ip he said, hey, rather than go on to AOL's platform to read the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and check your stock prices and send uh, text, text messages and emails to each other, why don't we make a new protocol? We'll make a protocol so anybody can make a web page. The bandwidth is faster now. And um, so, but it's still in 94, you could watch a web page download, progressive download. It was really slow bandwidth. So you could only just barely do a formatted page, a print with maybe a couple of small photos on it. All it took could, forever to download a photo. Like you'd be like, photo? Photo? Yeah, it's going to be the best photo ever. Yeah, they do little post-size <laughs> photos. But, uh, but Jeff Bezos saw the future and he went, oh my God, you know, there's 40 million people now plugged into the global internet. It's going to mm -hmm. go to 400 million and it's going to 4 billion. I can do something called e-commerce, you know, and so, um, so we got the web, uh, you know. But I was already interested in binocular vision, you know. We're already doing three D computer gaming, and so, oh right. So step step one is connect all the computers. That's the machine level TCP/IP. Step two, create the library of two D pages together. That creates the global library. Step three, huh? the 3D web. So we got 25 years now of 2D web and 25 years of 3D computer gaming on Xboxes and Playstations. And now we got enough bandwidth that they can merge. So mm -hmm. now we can have a 3D web, but that requires a new protocol. So we couldn't do the web with, H with TCP IP. We needed a new protocol, HTTP and HTML. You can't do a 3D web with a hypertext transfer protocol because that's about pages. So you need a 3D protocol, so we so we wrote the hyperspace uh, transaction protocol. And yeah, I love that. That's actually how I will describe it to people when they're like, "So what's the spatial web?" I go, "Oh, we're interviewing this dude, Dan Mabes, who's you know working on building the next version of the internet." And they're like, "Oh, Web three? And it's like, "Well, kind of, but not. It's the next protocol level above that." And I love that how you describe that. It's so eloquent when you think about it. Twenty five years of two D text and web protocol with 30, 25 years of video games and all the little items inside the video games and 3d and now they're merging when you tell it to people like that they go oh i get it i go it's fascinating it's yeah. weird it's really what we wanted to do in 1970 but the bandwidth wasn't there tim would have probably loved to do it in 1993 mm -hmm. but the bandwidth wasn't there we had to wait we knew what it was but we had to wait we couldn't start the company until 2018 because the bandwidth wasn't going to be there until 2022 or 23 or 24. so mm -hmm. you've got to obviously don't wait for it to get there to start tim started working on HTTP and the html clear back in 1990 and uh, you know, and it hit later. So, um, so we began, uh, Gabe and I began uh, whiteboarding in 2017 uh, to get the architecture right and then uh, founded the company in 2018 that took it public last year in 2022. 
And uh, now we're up to about 100 people and uh, just a great uh, group of PhDs in our AI team, a great group of uh, 3D people. And uh, so we're actually realizing the uh, the 3D web. And uh, we've got big projects going in Europe in five cities. We work with a number of big Fortune 500 companies here in the U.S. And these are all uh, uh, early pilots and uh, uh, and and uh, and I would say uh, uh, for first uh, kind of installations, uh, we are uh, we are profitable. I'm mean, not profitable. We are revenue positive. Um, we're still spending more than we're making because we're growing. But uh, but yeah. So the company made it through the asteroid field, and um, HTTP, H, uh, HSTP and HSML are working, and uh, we're installed in uh, various kinds of uh, locations around the planet. Still uh, still uh, we're con- kind of controlling everything because we're finishing the tools. But then we're going to kind of do what Apple did with iOS. Um, so Apple had to, when they launched the iPhone, uh, it came with like 10 apps, you know, messaging and, and navigation and notes and things like that. Apple had to build all those because they built iOS. But then they opened the app store and said, you guys make the apps. And then Uber and Twitter and everything else all popped up. We're up to, you know, 5 million apps now between Google and Apple uh, uh, worldwide and um, all done by other people. Apple makes 70 billion a year and in uh, recurring revenues every year from the app store, you know, so um, so it's a really nice model. Uh, uh, everybody wins. The app developers win because they've got a great uh, platform to market on. Uh, Apple wins because uh, they take a small fraction from everybody, but it all adds up to 70 billion bucks. And so um, so we kind of followed that model as well. So we'll be uh, releasing our tools here in about uh, four or five months. And then anybody can build artificial intelligent okay. apps. So uh, Dan, let me yeah. let me let you grab some oxygen for just a minute because I you you're such a depth of knowledge on this, and I want to make show make sure that everybody's following along here because I guarantee there are some people because this was me the first time I heard it that I heard 3D web and I thought is this a gimmick? And, and what I want you to explain is not only is this not a gimmick, but this is where the web is going. But how do you describe? the 3d web what what does that mean oh it's so simple um you know it it really just like travis said once you kind of get it it's just so obvious um we're just digitizing the world so you know the first thing we did was create a network where we could digitize communications and send emails to each other then we digitized all of our documents they were all there we had to scan them in or rewrite them or whatever and build web pages so we got the largest library in the network. now we're going to digitize our cities like that image behind you joel uh, right there well why would you want to digitize a city well my gosh emergency services traffic <laughs> every kind of thing you know it just helps you manage it the ai's once you've got a game once you once you create a 3d model of an entire city you can kind of gamify it. You can even tokenize it. You can even reward people for doing things and you can manage the systems better. And uh, all the traffic lights are all connected and everything's networked. And if you got a, a big wreck on the road over here, it automatically, you don't just count on uh, ways to guide you around. The whole, the whole city's aware. So so really you, you turn the entire planet into a giant video game. But so not would, in- would it be accurate, Dan, to say that this is the manifestation of the true internet Internet of things that we've heard about for so many years? 100%. Yeah. And it, it, let's be honest. I mean, this is the internet we always wanted. We just couldn't get there because the bandwidth wasn't there. I mean, that's why we did the 3D games on PlayStations and Xboxes because you needed special chips and things like that. But now we got, we're watching Netflix on our smartphones. We're playing Fortnite. I mean, you know, so the bandwidth is finally there. Apple's just brought their, uh, headset out uh oculus is selling a bunch of headsets uh, we're going to see a flood of the, the thing we the timing i think is mid 25 on we enter the age of uh, a 3d internet you know headsets will come down in price uh yeah. the new applications will come out uh there'll be practical business applications there'll be government applications like smart city stuff there'll be entertainment applications there'll be health applications i mean you know kind of what we did with with the World Wide Web, what's the World Wide Web good for? Oh, well, you can do commerce, you can do, you can learn things, you can, you know, I mean, you can uh, socialize. Well, all that's going to go now into 3D. I mean, Facebook took one look at it and they went, oh, my God, in the future, people are going to go to nightclubs with their friends, like in Ready Player One, dressed really cool, great DJ, doing their thing. 
they're never going to want to come to a Facebook page and send notes to each other when they can be hanging out together in a virtual world. So they changed their name to Meta. Obviously, they were too early, but uh, I think Zuck will be proved right. It is the right direction because it's the AI plus the metaverse. Right. Plus networking. The three things go together. You got to network the worlds together. Imagine if if the World Wide Web wasn't networked, then you'd have to just these siloed applications. You'd have to go here and download it. Then you get out of there. Then you have to go download this one. No, you, you don't get network effects when you have that. So uh, the, the web is so powerful because anybody can build a web page any day. And, and now they're in the global network and Google indexes them. And now you can find them. And so um, so we just built all of that now in 3D. So every website will go to 3D. Every app will go to an AI app. So we're going to have a 3D AI web over the next 25 years. And it's way beyond the gimmick. It's going to make everything run faster, better, cheaper, and um, make our lives better. Yeah, it's really fascinating when you're looking at that. And that's why I love your name versus is because Joel and I have had this conversation for a long time. It's not the metaverse. There's a bunch of verses that are all being connected, right? And uh, watching your presentation that you did, at uh in sweden a couple weeks ago you were talking about how it cost like 300 million dollars to make chat gpt2 and then they have to make chat gpt3 and that costs another three four hundred million dollars then they want to do chat gpt4 and it's a whole new product so they got to start over and rebuild the infrastructure and what you guys are doing over there is doing active inference which is a different type of AI, which you can actually build upon it, right? Where you can actually grow. Here it is. And now we add more to it and it's going to grow. It would almost seem like ChatGPT 2 should evolve into 3, into 4, not, you know, like look at how fast MidJourney has grown. MidJourney is only a little over a year old. And here they are now about to release MidJourney 6. And I love it. It's the stuff that I can create on that is just mind blowing. And now, so explain what is active inference, because you were talking about active inference as sort of the operational side of things. And whereas AI now is more sort of on the content side of things, but active inference is where the nitty gritty is really getting going for you guys. And so I'd really like you to explain that like I'm 12 years old. Yeah. So it's really, it's really again, really simple. Um, uh, <laughs> Well, when, it's really cool when you get when you get down into the core of all these things. They're just dead simple ideas. So, um, uh, active inference and open AI are completely the opposite types of AI. They're completely night and day, and they and they can work together, and that's what's fun. Uh, so, active infra, uh, no, open AI is basically a large language model. So, it's based on neural net technologies, and really, what that is is you take a computer and you load it with billions of. Uh, parameters, words, if you will, uh, to keep it simple. And then you can ask the big box, uh, tell me a story about uh, the making of a Boeing 727 or the history of Los Angeles or whatever. It's a content creation system. And uh, it's, you have to, it, it looks inside itself to answer your question. But we don't do that. We, we're engaged with the world. We're looking around. I'm watching traffic in real time. I'm making decisions. Oh, wait, I'm going to stop the car here because I want to have a coffee at this place. I'm making decisions all in real time based on what's going on in the world around me right now. That is not what an LLM is doing. An LLM is looking inside and saying, what has everybody said about Paris in, in my 900 billion parameters here, you know, and I'll tell a story for you about Paris and it'll hallucinate if it doesn't have the data because all it's doing is mathematically word matching, doing kind of word completion sentences. Whereas active inference is actually looking at the world through the network, through, mm. uh, through the IOT devices. It can see the city in real time. It can see the factory in real time. It can see the hospital in real time. It can see your body in real time, uh, whatever it's looking at. And so suddenly it can make more accurate predictions and decisions than an LLM where it's looking inside at stuff that was loaded into it maybe a year ago uh, that's now maybe even out of date, you know, so a very completely different model. And so uh, what what active inference does is the first uh, non-machine software. All the software up to now has been no different than a lawnmower. I buy a lawnmower, I buy a laptop, I buy a car. 
the car doesn't get better by me driving it. I have to buy a new car every two years to upgrade, upgrade just like GPT-2 or GPT-3. Whereas with a, um, with a human, I, if I don't see you for six months and I come back and see you and you're a 12-year-old, you're smarter than you were six months ago. You know more. You've learned some things. You went to camp. You learned how to swim. You did all this stuff. There's no, you know, it's an ongoing evolutionary process. So uh, with active inference, it's the first AI that's organic. Active inference, that's also AI. Right. Active yeah. inference is also AI. So this sounds or could sound incredibly dystopian. You say everything is being mapped in real time. That can be a little scary uh, for a lot of people. So how will this new protocol uh, work in a way that the powers of this world that like to centralize and have power over others won't lord over us? How does how, how this solve that problem? So there's two two, uh, two quick answers to that. Number one, uh, AI is coming at us a thousand miles an hour, whether we like it or not. So uh, if, if we don't if we don't do this, somebody else is doing. I mean, millions of people are working on AI all over the world, from India, China, Europe, U.S., Japan, everywhere. Right? Everybody's working on AI. Right? And so um, what we did is we brought together uh, an extraordinary team uh, from uh, University College London. Uh, which is where Google DeepMind originally came from uh, 12 years ago. Uh, we got Dr. Carl Friston on as our chief scientist. He's the number one neuroscientist in the world. And we're building in lots of protection around data privacy and other kinds of issues like that. And so we have self-sovereign identity for people that understand what that is. We have zero knowledge proofs, all these kinds of things built in right at the core of the protocol. So it's by design, by default, right at the core of the whole thing. So we think it's a web that um, gives us uh, much. It's GDPR compliant from day one. It gives us much more uh, compliance with the uh, laws and rules. Um, and um, and uh, because we wrote the protocols, uh, it has a chance of becoming uh, the dominant uh, way the web will work going forward which is to correct the big three problems of the existing web. The big three problems of the existing worldwide web are um, everything is hacked. Everything you do is tracked and you can't tell what's real and what's fake. So hacking, tracking and faking are the big three. If you don't, if you don't address those before you do the spatial web, then you're just making the problem bigger. And so um, things like blockchains and other DLTs and uh, new kinds of data structures uh, help us with the hacking. I mean, everybody's trying to hack the Bitcoin blockchain right now. There's $600 billion worth of uh, a Bitcoin on there, and they haven't been able to hack it. So if, if, one look, if you look at it historically in technology uh, evolution terms, um, Bitcoin is worth it just to show, just as a to, to develop hacker-proof ideas, you know. Uh, then um, uh, tracking, of course, with self-sovereign identity and zero-knowledge proofs. We cut down on the uh, – you can't really do the um, – uh, the uh, surveillance capitalism game anymore because you own your data in a self-sovereign identity environment. You have a data vault. You own your data. You can sell your data if you want, uh, and there will be data exchanges that you can sell your data through, but you can strip your name off of it, and Tesla would love to buy the data just from your car. They don't need to know that it's Travis's or Joel's car. They just want to They just want to see the largest fleet of Teslas in real time. They understand battery performance and brakes and tires and how the cars are performing. It helps their engineering for developing uh, better better versions of the car in the future. So, so we have have, uh, you know, we've we killed two of the birds uh, there uh, uh, with uh, with these two uh, technologies. And then um, the AI being networked. So we don't have a big central box of AI. We don't even make AI. We make AI tools that allow anybody anywhere in the world to make an AI app. So if you're a nutritionist, you can make an AI app around nutrition. If you're a, uh, a teacher of French history, you can make an AI app around French history. And so instead of having one- How does that, how does that work? I think that's confusing to people. Oh, anybody can make their own little active inference a a thing just, because you built the like, tools. Just, like, how does just, that work? Just like the App Store and just like the World Wide Web. And then, really, okay, yeah, yeah. So then, and so, how do we do it on the World Wide Web? So Google goes and goes. Well, there's PageRank, and so even though there's maybe five thousand websites to talk about hotels in Bali, here are the top one hundred that you're probably going to probably go to. And uh, same thing on the app store. Things are rated and, you know, that kind of thing. And so there'll be Yelp scores on uh, on these apps and uh, the AIs will be aware of it. But the point is you have a knowledge graph that you can create. So 
the AI isn't built by a company. It's built by millions of people, just like the web pages. While we're having this conversation, people are building, loading web pages up in India, China, all over the world, because it's this what you can do. People are building apps while we're sitting here. So we want that hyperspace modeling language that that's it. hyperspatial we, transaction protocol that you built. We enable that enables, uh, and then we have tools that sit on top of that uh, okay. called Cosm, and that allows you then to grab uh, like an app builder and build an AI app and load it up. And then uh, you can uh, monetize that, you know. Ah, it's fascinating. So, yeah, so we don't we don't build AI. We build the tools to enable the world to build AI. And, mm. of course, that's the way the World Wide Web got built. That's the way the App Store got built. So people need to understand Cosm, this the platform you built. To, so if you want to build something, you have to go inside Cosm, understand and learn that, and then you can build whatever you want to build yeah, through just, that? Just, just like iOS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't really have to understand Cosm. You just build on top of it. The tools okay. understand Cosm. You just take the tools. The AI helps you build something pretty fast and light. Ultimately, it'll be a no-code environment. You just talk to the AI and build the app that way. But basically, it's a way of downloading the knowledge that you have or your team has or your company has into an app that now has AI in it that's evolving. And then all the apps, because they're all connected through the protocol, just like the web pages are, they can all talk to each other. So they're learning from each other, you know, and uh, they're evolving individually and then they're evolving collectively. So we call that collective intelligence. So then probably you'll have something kind of like Jarvis, that's your personal assistant, and it has access to all of the apps. Hmm. So to uh, to let people know and just to uh, prove that this is coming, the IEEE is the uh, the board that the Standards Association, right? These are the people that approve and say, OK, this is the protocol that we're all going to work off of. And that's what happened with you know a lot of technologies we have. But HTTP protocol is one of the IEEE Bluetooth, standards. Bye. Right, right. So you guys this has already been run by ieee right this this hstp now, now it's owned by ieee i triple e uh what we do is um the way tim did it and we just copied uh, all the brilliant people before us uh tcpip is not owned by a company it's an open standard just like electricity you know no one owns 110 ac <laughs> you know it's a it's a description by the ieee you can download it and uh, if you go to p2874 you'll see the spatial web protocol there p2874 if you type that into uh, the search engine there anyway um so yeah what we did is we wrote the original protocol then we uh then we create an ieee committee i think there's 200 companies now in the committee companies like microsoft and others are all on the committee and then we everybody raises their hand and said well you know the way you're handling uh, the id structure here it might be better if we did this and so then you go through these drafts uh, so we're already entering the third draft after the third draft i think we've done two drafts already that have all been voted in uh, now we're getting a little fine little fine little final little uh, uh, corrections so i think we'll have the final third vote probably here in the um, next four to six months and then uh, we'll go to a uh, full release of the protocol so it, it's an ieee protocol you know you know, somebody has to start building it just like TCPIP or HTTP, but ultimately you give it to the standards body and then the committees around the standard uh, annually make little upgrades to it. So like IPv4, now we're at IPv6 and things like that. So um, we we're, so that's the, that's the whole protocol side of the house. We let go control of that. We sit on the committee like everybody else, but we don't control it anymore. Otherwise, it would be our operating system. But no, it's an Beautiful. open protocol, free to be used by anybody yeah. anywhere in the world. And anybody can raise their hand and go, uh, we think that should be done a little better if you handle your your addressing structure this way. And if it's voted in, then we all go up with it together. Right. So, so I'm going to raise my hand right here and I'm going to say, so, so are, are, are the, are the URLs going to be different? Because yeah, I know yeah, that it's URL, not HTTP, URL, it's going to be HSTP slash slash or whatever, yeah. but it's not going to be Google.com. It's going to be something else, right? What, that's right. Whatever that's URL right. is going to look like. So you don't lose, you don't lose the current web, just like when we got the smartphones and we got apps, we still use the web. Uh, we still use email. So everything we've ever done, we still use. But yeah. it turns out 80% of our time is in the new thing. So 80% of our time is spent on the smartphone. Uh, but we still go and uh, surf the web and and uh, buy things from Amazon because it's easier to do it sometimes from the big screen. Uh, we still send emails to each other. So we'll still have all of the old stuff we all had. 
But 80% of our time will be spent in the new spatial web because that's really where the action is. And that the spatial web. So this is spatialwebfoundation.org. Of course, links to this will be in the show notes. This is the technology that you've basically given away, right? You don't own this. So uh, what is the foundation and then what is versus? Foundation is just like W3C. Uh, the World Wide Web uh, Foundation. It just promotes the use of the uh, protocol. Uh, so it's there to educate people about the protocol, and uh, but it has no control over the protocol. It's an IEEE standard. And then Versus uh, builds the tools that sit on top. So if we look at the World Wide Web, uh, you have HTTP and HTML, and you could build an Amazon website or an e-commerce website in HTML, but most people don't. They use a tool like Shopify or wix or wordpress or something and they the tool helps them build a website much faster and and it generates the code and all that so we build tools like cosm that sit on top of the protocol that allow you to rapidly build protocol compliant apps you don't need it you can do you can do them directly in hsml but the the tools make it easier you know are people going to be accessing those? So say I got my smartphone, but I don't have a headset yet, right? I haven't bought the Vision Pro. It doesn't exist yet for us to get, but I do have a Quest. But let's just say like, people can still utilize this 3D version of the internet through their mobile device, and that just pops up as an app? Or do you have to have the binocular vision, the goggle, VR goggles, AR goggles of some sort to access this new web? Now, you if, think about computer gaming. Uh, all the 3D computer gaming... Okay. That uh, we've had for the last 25 years, we're actually viewing it on a 2D screen. Right. But but if you're a gamer, you're you're experiencing it in 3D. You're moving around, you're moving your character around, you're running Gears of War, uh, World of Warcraft, whatever. You're doing all this stuff, right? And you're thinking in 3D, but you're seeing it on a 2D screen. If you've got yeah. glasses, it's more immersive and even more powerful. But uh but you know, it's like Avatar the movie. You can go see it uh, in 3D at IMAX, but or you can also watch it on a on a on your television in 2D. You know. Yeah, I was talking to Joel. I was like, dude, this new Legend of Zelda game is so crazy. I was like, I'm, I can't even wait until those types of games are completely immersive in the digital world. You can walk around it because you can't. They're 2D. They're 3D worlds in a 2D environment. But a 3D world in a 3D environment is going to be so sick. And I think once. Once you get the, the the 4K, 8K resolution or whatever up there, so you don't – because some people, you put that goggle on, and you're like, oh, you get a little seasick. You can do it maybe 30 minutes, and you're like, I got to take this thing off. But the quality is getting so good now that you're going to – we're going to be we're gonna be able to tap into these worlds and not be able to tell reality from virtual reality. It's They're getting so crazy. No, and if you interview, – they interviewed uh, some kids that played World of Warcraft even eight or ten years ago, and for them – it isn't it isn't a versus kind of thing. I mean, they, they treat World of Warcraft as one of their realities. They go and hang out with their friends there just like they would if they right. were. That's true. Cool. So it, it's it, it's more I think it's a generational thing. People that uh, people that are not gamers uh, will always they're always trying to manipulate the, the interface and their controllers. It's kind of difficult. But a real gamer they the interface is completely of one with them and they're as they think they're just they're just hitting the buttons without even it's almost like walking and so they're they're native to it so i think um uh, kids growing up uh with these uh, uh 3d metaverse environments uh, with ai in them um it'll just seem like another you know we we kind of have two realities right now we have outside and we have inside when you go inside you're in usually a virtual world some architect built that building and you're inside it's got artificial lighting and air conditioning you're already in a virtual world but we don't call it a virtual world we just call it inside and so i think uh <laughs> this is the third space now this will be the I new like that i like the way you 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 phrase that so let's go back to ai for a moment because a lot of people are frightened even though it's coming and there's no stopping it um and governments are trying to figure out how do we regulate all this? You came out with a uh, a press release that had a report in it versus Denton's U.S. and the Spatial Web Foundation announced collaboration on landmark industry report, the future of AI governance. How does this technology solve this AI problem so that the governments of the world uh, not only don't have to think about how they're going to regulate all this, but don't have the power to because the power belongs to the people. 
Yeah, 100%. By the way, uh, uh, that that was the announcement that we were developing that. Now we've released that document. Okay. And that's available from our website, versus.ai or versus.io, uh, either one. But uh, the, the, you can now read that uh, document. And so basically what we're saying is, is that uh, this is a networked uh, environment now. And so we can actually de develop guardrails and standards uh, for it, just like we did with the World Wide Web. If you, if you build a terrorist website on the World Wide Web, you'll get reported. And uh, people and the ISP will take it down and uh, Google, Google will find it in the indexing. So uh, we've got a, a new method now for uh, AI where we can identify malevolent AI uh, applications. And so um, uh, but it's all right here in the future of global AI governance. I recommend everybody read it. And um, uh, we partnered with Denton's, the number one law firm in the world. And so um, what our um, what our technologies can do is they can actually read normal English and convert that into like Python code. And so um, uh, and make AI applications based on what we set the rules and laws to be. So um, so when a government passes a law, uh, then um, uh, you can't fly uh, a drone above uh, uh, 1500 uh, meters or you can't uh, uh, drive, a, you know, you can't drive a car into the core of, of the city uh, on Wednesdays between two and five. Uh, then uh, the AIs can all read that law now. So now we've got a, a link between uh, uh, the government uh, passing rules and the way for the AIs to actually honor those rules, you know, so that uh, they're part of it. But uh, it's a big, it's a big work uh, there. And uh, everybody's learning, uh, you know, the uh, the European Union, uh, the U.S. and uh, different groups are all building AI uh, compliance models. So uh, this is our contribution to the conversation on how you could implement it global at global scale. I want to ask around this because I find it fascinating. So one of the reasons Joel and I even got into crypto originally when we were we were having conversations around it, but there was this project that we were working on, going to advise called Deep Sea, S-E-E, -E, where we wanted to do a deep sea into every topic, you know, sort of like a Reddit version, but then going in and giving it a truth score type of a thing. It's like, all right, this author right here looks like they're beholden to CNN. It's a leftist publication. Pfizer's their sponsor. They're talking pro vaccines because this is connected to that and this. And so this might their perspective might be jaded because of who's funding them, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so that's one. And then the, the guy decided he wanted to build a YouTube version and then they ran out of funds and whatever. But the whole thought has always been around how can we improve the accuracy of information available on the Internet when you have so many governments who are trying to censor, right? Oh, we don't want this, you guys to see this truth. This is a truth we don't want you to know. That's an inconvenient truth, so let's put a spin on it. We'd rather you have this narrative or this propaganda. So how do you navigate that in a way, one, that the citizens get more pure information and two, you don't piss off the governments in, in working with these smart cities, or is that two, is that even irrelevant? You don't care. How do citizens, which we care about, get that good information that we know it's truthful? Yeah, I mean, uh, you probably remember from the Daily Show, uh, you know, they came up with this idea of truthing, truthiness, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and I think yeah. what we're going to see is that like a truthiness uh, score, kind of a maybe a red, yellow a green uh, model where a uh, green right. is kind of like a uh, highly verified yellow is kind of like, well, you know, uh, be cautious. And the red mm -hmm. is like, Hey, this shit is like really dangerous. You know, <laughs> keep <laughs> pay attention. Pay attention and who determines know. that? That's the thing, because well, what's think, really dangerous to some no, turns no, out no. like if we get to ask in, in like in 2020, anybody who talked against vaccines and COVID like, Oh, that person's red score. He's, uh, he's untruthful. And then it comes out, Oh wait, they were actually truthful. So how, how does that, how do you include that in this, in the equation? No, just speaking personally, I, I'm a big believer in uh, evolution. And so uh, uh, we, you know, just even genetic evolution on the planet, uh, the way we've grown from single cell organisms to us and, uh, and then uh, at our tool making a level of uh, evolution, it's called mimetic evolution, sometimes memes and mm -hmm. How we went from bows and arrows to starships, you know, going to Mars, you know, and so um, 
we don't have to solve every problem up front. Uh, we're smart people. When they invented the car, they didn't put seatbelts in originally. And then people started going through the windshields and people went, oh, wait, why don't we put windshield? Uh, why don't we put seatbelts in? Oh, even better. Why don't we put an airbag in? And then so um, so I think as uh, as we watch how people are using the system, we start to then adapt to the problem areas. But what's cool about uh, the web is um, it is a big open system. So it does allow um, groups to form over their own ideas and that kind of thing. There are some obvious things. We, we don't allow child pornography, we don't allow terrorism and things like that. But still, there's a wide variety of ideas being shared on the World Wide Web. There are. And even during the vaccine, there were people that were against uh, vaccines. And there were people that were for it. And both sides were could argue it out. And they were argued out on talk shows as well. So I think uh, what you want is the forum. You want the market square where everybody can have this, have it out. You know what I mean? And um, and over time, uh, we learn and evolve. I mean, you know, I mean, look, look at the things that uh, uh, didn't exist uh, 500 years ago and we take for granted now. Electricity, and <laughs> cars and airplanes. You bring anybody here from 500 years ago, you're like, what are you people? Hell, 260 years ago with the very first industrial revolution. That's what always blows my mind away, Dan. I oh, look recent. at this and I go... The Industrial Revolution started in what six seventeen sixty or whenever it was. Here we are, it's two hundred and sixty years. We're in the fourth Industrial Revolution in two hundred and sixty years. What about like a civilization that's maybe has got a billion years on us or something? So the technology of where we've come to now is mind blowing, but you can just see that we're just still the tip of the iceberg. Well, exactly right, Travis. And uh, uh, it's this uh, it's this idea of exponential growth when you're on a network and you've got uh, the collective intelligence of humanity all coming together. You can get maybe 200 years of development in 50 years now. And so by, say, in our terms, in our lifetimes, 2075 might be as radically different from today as 200 years ago would be to today. Now we are, we are to those people because quantum computing is coming in big time. Uh, Google just had a, a 70 qubit, uh, their 70 qubit quantum computer the other day, just knocked off a uh, supercomputer that would have taken 43 years to do something. And they did it in under a minute or something, you know? <laughs> That's insane. So, um, yeah. So this <laughs> stuff is all coming. I think, I think this is probably uh, a renaissance. Uh, we're probably entering the uh, from 2020 to 2050 will probably be viewed historically as a period where we went kind of from like that. A, you new, know, a new plateau. We're doing a serious quick up level here and uh, we're going to have a, a VR AI global nervous system that's helping us monitor and run everything and probably, uh, you know, a new kind of uh global currency based on tokenization. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we can't fully predict, but we can see the seeds of them here. Yeah, I'm and, curious. Uh, I want your opinion on this, Dan. Uh, you know, you mentioned tokenization. This is the bad crypto podcast. And while we are futurists, <laughs> we cover all things in the future. I'm curious, where do you personally believe cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, tokenization fits into all of this? Yeah, I kind of look at it from a large, broad historical perspective. And so um, in general, uh, if we look at it uh, in history, we've kind of got these uh, big uh, three, now four kind of main eras of uh, human existence. The hunter-gatherer era, a couple hundred thousand years at least, maybe 250,000 years. Uh, then the ag era, really the last 5,000 years uh, uh, and we're still we still have a lot of ag. And then, as uh, Travis pointed out, the last two, three hundred years, we've been in the industrial era. And now we're leaving the industrial age. Uh, we're entering a, a global networked uh, economy. And so each age has its governance structures, have its monetary systems, everything else. So what we see with uh, modern finance uh, in New York and London and, and uh, other places around the world and the use of uh, fiat currencies by nation states is very tied into the industrial age. Uh, as we move into uh, uh, network native uh, uh, economies, which will probably be 10 to 100 times larger than our current industrial economy, well, then, of course, you're going to start using native currencies. And those native currencies would be some form of a crypto type currency or something like that. So we'll, whether, they're, whether they're central bank digital currencies or whether they're independent uh, uh, cryptocurrencies based on algorithms, uh, uh, that are not uh, not able to be manipulated by any central authorities. They're probably going to coexist 
uh, we'll probably have uh, things like Bitcoin and Ethereum that handle a lot of uh, commercial activities. We may use uh, central bank digital currencies for our, our short-term day-to-day interactions because they're really handy. Uh, but uh, I think we're going to have a kind of a hybrid environment going forward. But crypto is going to have a huge part to play in the uh, in the digital economy, no doubt about it. That's the uh, that's the uh, the protocol for the finances through the new uh, new world, right? So it's like that's one of the things we all have a smartphone. Why wouldn't we all have digital money? Why do I need to go stand in line at a bank, right? I think the biggest problem for us to consider is how do we get an uncancelable bank account in some way, right? Because these new CBDCs can be programmable and they can literally say, you know what, Dan, I don't really like your opinion. We're going to go ahead and shut off your account, right? They did hell, they did that with Kanye with a regular bank account, right? We don't like what you have to say. We're kicking you off, right? So I think those are always a challenge with that. But then again, you look at this and you go, man, what's going to be that VR AI sort of crypto? And let me ask you about this. WorldCoin just came out a couple days ago, right? Powered by uh, Sam Altman, the guy who's uh, open AI. He, he's building this thing. And uh, Andreessen Horowitz is, is behind it as well. It's literally came out of the shoots and was worth $250 million, right? That's because those are the kind of things to me that seems to be they should probably be more regulated. Like, I don't even know how we can circumvent Americans to be able to invest in this thing, but the big VCs can. And then the next thing you know, boom, it's worth $250 million, hasn't done anything yet. And th- there's a problem with that is that the, the, the sort of overreaching sort of worldwide vision that they have with their sort of crypto, it's kind of got some nefarious kind of aspects behind it. I don't know all the details of it. I'm doing research before I do a video on it. But what do you know about WorldCoin so far? It's the new chat GPT, AI sort of crypto. That's They want to power all the things with it, which seems a little strange to me. One of the things I love about Silicon Valley and technology in general is the table is open. Anybody, right. can, anybody can come to play. And so, as I said earlier, it's really an evolutionary model. And so uh, when we look at evolution, how do animals uh, succeed and other animals fail? And so uh, what we're using now, the latest uh, theoretical structures on understanding how uh, the path of evolution evolves is uh, evolutionary game theory, which is even tied a little bit into thermodynamics. The animal that uses the least amount of energy to, uh, to be able to extract out of that system, in other words, the most efficient, is wins the, wins the mm. niche. And so, um, so let a thousand coins come to the table, you know, and already have even, you know, and let the top 100 be emerge. And maybe WorldCoin will have a five-year run and then is replaced by Galactic Coin. I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, with atomic swaps, you may not really even care. You can use uh, uh, different coins for different purposes. Uh, you'll, be, you'll be using Ripple and ETH and all these different things for different purposes right now. Uh, so if you got atomic swaps, then you don't even really even care because they're just moving back and forth between right. anything you want, even from fiat, even to central bank digital currencies, over to Bitcoin, whatever. You're just atomic swapping as you want. Those and and let the best player win. I mean, I don't I don't really care uh, as long as uh, I mean, you know, two, two, two kids in a garage there in uh, in uh, in Cupertino, you know, developed Apple. I mean, you know, and uh, they even took a deal at Packard and then, hey, look what we made. And, you know, yeah. that's cute. Uh, right. We have interest, of course. You guys just do whatever you want with it. And uh, now it's yeah. a three trillion dollar company. Three. So trillion so I foresee there being a versus coin of some sort down the road or is that something no that no 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 hardly to say. A versus coin our 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 developers would use our tools to develop uh, new kinds of ai coins because mm, okay. we want an ai we want an ai coin in the future you know so it can self-regulate and do various things that uh, when it's got self so ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to have intelligent systems and you're going to have dumb systems and ultimately, the intelligence systems are going to win. Why do mammals outfunction uh, reptiles? Because we have a bigger neocortex. Uh, we're just smarter, you know. And so, dolphins can uh, take out sharks because they work as a team and they poke them in the sides with their beaks, and the shark uh, gets killed or runs away, you know. So, uh, intelligence is the name of the game, guys. And so, uh, intelligent coins will be part of the uh, future of uh, what we're doing and intelligent regulation. So basically, we're going to have we have a nervous system right now in our bodies 
uh, that is regulating uh, all kinds of things while we're having this conversation. It's digesting my food. It's maintaining my body at 98.6. So it's uh, if I'm getting too hot, it'll cause me to perspire. If I'm getting cold, it'll cause me to look for a blanket or something or go inside. So, um, so we have self-regulation built into our system. And we are unaware of it because we've just said, hey, look, you got it. You just do it now. Take care of all that so I can have a conversation with Travis and Joel. That's what's coming. We're going to have a global nervous system that really helps us manage our climate, our finances, other kinds of things. And and look, no cell in my body gets left behind when I eat. I mean, the, I don't have to worry about the cells in my feet being too far away from the heart. And I know no, the body's figured all that out. So you can see what's coming no one's going to be left behind in the future. You know, we're all in one global human family. Uh, there's going to be kind of u- universal housing and universal health care, universal education available to everybody. Right now, half the planet doesn't have even access to a decent school system, you know, and uh, that'll all get wiped out. By 2050, uh, everybody's going to have access to a better than Harvard education for free globally, you know, and uh, lifelong. So these kinds of things, new digital medicines and other kinds of things are coming. I mean, it's just a we're in a renaissance. Uh, we're going to come out of it. Like you said, if you go back 260 years and bring anybody today, they're going like, what the hell? Electricity, cars, airplanes. What is all this stuff? And we're going to be like that to the people from 2100. You know, so uh, I think it's a great story that's coming. Human beings are amazing and they continue to amaze me. They've been amazing uh, me for 250,000 years. They're not slowing down right now. They're very adaptive. They're very smart. Uh, There's some bad actors, but even the Hitlers, we finally all come together and like white blood cells, get rid of the cancer and move on and learn from the problem so will there be problems of course there's going to be problems we love problems we are problem solvers you know so we we create the problems we gotta solve them we'll we'll create it we'll solve it you know and so there's always going to be some bad actors because they had bad childhoods or whatever they're acting out but uh but we'll protect ourselves from them and the body has an immune system we'll build an immune system for the planet i mean these things go these are part of the evolutionary journey Dan, I want you to wrap up with this direction you're going now because you kind of began answering the question I was thinking before I asked it. And that is uh, a lot of people are afraid of technology. And and you and I talked offline about this potential dystopian future. And you immediately shut that down. You're very optimistic about the future. And, and I want to let you, you know, preach here for a second to uh, to the world to share what you think all of this means and why we shouldn't be afraid of the technology that we are, that's here, ready or not. Well, again, I like Travis's uh, approach. Uh, Keep it simple. I mean, uh, here we are 4 billion years after life began on the surface of the planet, single-celled organisms. And we're having this conversation about AI and everything. And so my question for a lot of people Do you think that the force of evolution that's been at work for 4 billion years on this planet, that has helped us go from single-celled organisms to fish in the ocean, to amphibians, to reptiles on the land, to mammals, to apes, to humans, I mean, do you think it stopped with humans? No, no, no. It's going right in our fingertips when we're coding right now. Evolution's continuing. We're trusted. It's created us. It's doing fine. It generally goes down some dead ends, and it'll even do a T-Rex. They're awesome. But, uh, you know, it doesn't stay there. It goes toward the higher, higher. Look at at, uh, the uh, ape line. They gave up... uh, powerful teeth and claws for intelligence and working together as communities. And so, I mean, I just look at the story of human history. It's a great story. I mean, it's got a lot of pain in the journey, but the overall arc of it is extraordinary, you know, and now we're heading up, we're building cities on the moon and on Mars, and we're getting ready to mine asteroids and we're, we're going to solve the climate thing. I mean, no, no, I trust in, uh, I trust in human beings and, and I trust in the uh, power of evolution coming through us in our new ideas in art in technology in governance structures and new monetary structures everything everything we're all talking about today we are not slowing down we are still creating we're going we're going in the fourth industrial revolution we're going to go through the tenth uh, you know mm-hmm. metaphysical revolution i mean we're, we're still an evolving species and uh, we've got the best years are ahead of us not behind us I love I love that. And one thing you said in the in that Swedish interview, you said 
You know, why did Iron Man, why was he the only one who had Jarvis? Like everyone should have their own Jarvis, their own at their fingertips. That's and what, what we I, I would suggest, Dan, is we call it Jovis because it's, <laughs> I think it'd be way better. It's Joel and <laughs> well, Travis. What we did, that's actually what we're doing, by the way. Uh, uh, Perfect. We, we, actually, we actually, uh, what we realized <laughs> is Jarvis is software. So uh, I could just say to Jarvis, make uh, 8 billion copies of yourself. And so that's what we did. Uh, we we call the uh, project uh, Gia or Genius. Uh, and so everybody will have their own uh, personal assistant. Uh, and um, uh, and it, it, that as personal assistant will be a self-evolving autopoiesis uh, piece of AI that is growing and learning and is really mm-hmm. there to make your life uh, as good as possible. So um, autopoiesis, you know, yep. the word of the day. I like That's that. the word of the day, guys. The, uh, the book okay. that uh, Dan co-authored with his co-founder at Spatial Web and Versus, Gabriel Rene, is available on Amazon. I recommend it. The Spatial Web, How Web 3.0 Will Connect Humans, Machines, and AI to transform the world. There's tons of links that are going to be in the show notes, guys. Go check it out. And Dan, uh, thank you so much for for coming on today. We're so I had excited a blast. about I had this a blast. Gabe, Gabe and I, uh, you know, we started the company back in uh, 2017, 2018, and it's just been a, a beautiful journey. We got a great team. Uh, Gabe's awesome. He's the CEO of the company, and probably uh, he's even a way better speaker about all this stuff than me. He's awesome. So uh, we're just so happy with the way it's all unfolding and. Uh, the quality of the people that are in the company is just unbelievably first class, beautiful. And there's so many things you guys are doing. I think we could have three or four of these interviews <laughs> and not cover all of it. Because well, I'm like, what, I'm like we didn't we cover want. digital twins. We didn't cover this. We didn't cover that. I'm like, we just don't know. So <laughs> that's why that's why we wrote the book. We realized oh, this is a big yeah. elephant. If you just grab so the true. leg, you think you, you think the elephant's like a tree. But uh, you know, if you re- if you read the book, it kind of gives you a larger view of what's coming. You know. Yeah. Fascinating. Do we want? I got juices now. You got juices? Wow. Oh my. I'm going to be right back. Okay. He's going to go create it. Okay. Okay, I don't have any juices left. That was quick. (laughs) All right. Trev is going to come up with something. You're going to get inspired and uh, we're going to do a free drop. Yeah. Yeah. uh, For those who are holding the bad crypto nifty club NFT, if you don't have one yet, the question is, why not? You can go to badcrypto.uncut.network and pick up the cool red spinny NFT. It's uh, it's about three bucks. And again, it's it's uh, we're selling it just so the bots don't pick it up for free, but it's within everybody's reach. And we make it rain. Uh, some really cool NFTs, and we're going to do one for this episode as well if you happen to have one of these in time for us when the drop happens. If you buy, if you get the, the uh, Crypto Nifty Club after the drop happens well you're not going to get any of the drops that have happened up to then but you'll get the future ones there you go so i think with this one right here you kind of got a cool background behind you about the smart city of the future Uh uh so it's like he was talking about the 3d version of the internet and the smart cities and how you can do all that stuff and everything's gonna be connected so probably something along those lines it'll be a really cool and probably maybe a uh, well animate it do some cool ai animated video of some sort we kind of fly in and that would be kind of cool so we'll see i have you no were, idea because you just threw it at me so yeah, much I just, I was like, there you go make something travis make something magical well you're uh you're really experimenting you are uh more on the cutting edge of what's happening with these tools than i am right now because uh, you're a designer and so you're turning out some really cool stuff you took one of those um cornutopia uh lord sir mcpopperton which is the corn uh that was inspired by me and you animated him a little bit so he's like tossing some kernels and uh so uh, i'll be interested to see what you come up with here some of those are cool there's some really amazing ai tools that are popping out that i'm having fun playing with right that was runway ml they launched gen 2 on that one but there's another one that i'm waiting to get access to called pika labs p-i-k-a labs uh and i'm not i don't have access to it yet i don't think you do either once one of us get access to it, we're gonna go in there and play around and do some cool stuff because that's what we do well, as you said uh, at the end of the interview, we could go on with Dan for hours. The The man is just a deep well of knowledge. I love his optimism. Yeah. And uh, what I didn't say during the interview, I want to have full disclosure, is I discovered the company versus probably about four months ago. And I looked at what they were doing. I said, oh, man, and I bought some stock. So mm-hmm. they, they currently trade uh, on OTC, I think, or pink sheets. It's kind of what they would call a pay. 
penny stock. This is not financial advice. You know, always do your own due diligence. But I did want to disclose that I am an owner of shares in Versus.ai. And, you know, I read the book Spatial Web a couple of years ago, and I didn't buy any shares because I didn't know they were on. And when you told me about that, I bought some as well, but not financial advice, just but I just look at it and I go, man, if they're the ones that's creating the next version of the web and, you know, with 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 Apple's Vision Pro coming out, I mean, it could be the next thing. Not immediately. It's not an immediate thing, but it's probably a thing over the course of the next 18, 24 months. That could be a, the thing to the thing thing. So we yeah, shall yeah. see. So shake the thing. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. As always, please share this episode. I think I feel like this interview is really important. And if you've got some yeah. friends, uh, associates, family members that you think should be on the cutting edge of what the next web looks like, it's coming. It's landing on your doorstep, whether you're ready or not. And uh, he says by 2025, we really ought to start seeing penetration of the technology into the consumer and business world. So yeah. uh, what we didn't have a chance to talk about is I wanted to ask about current use cases, what businesses are using it. We didn't get a chance to go there, but there are large companies and brands, enterprise, yeah. that are already using spatial web technology. Yeah, and Joel, I was talking, uh, you know, you introduced me to Denise Holt, who's really working with them and doing some really great content. Um, we should probably have her on a show sometime because a, a woman in the uh, active inference space is she's very unique. She's got a, a unique perspective as well. So we'll probably come back at you guys with an additional episode down the road or even more in the future, depending on how this thing blows out. But you probably heard it here first. So there you go. A lot of interesting stuff happening, not just in AI, AI as it is right now. You have to create a brand new model, build a brand new one and then launch that. But this active inference is i love that how he described it as ah, it's going to evolve as we evolve it's going to you put more information it's just going to learn and grow and it's going to be its own beast so it's going to be i don't know this whole, this is crazy wild wild world war what are uh, what are you actively inferring here travis i'm not inferring anything other than you need to stay bad that's more of a direct order that's right that was like perhaps you could stay bad yes you might in all of the realm of possibilities <laughs> of things you might be thinking about today perhaps staying bad might be one of them this this or that maybe the version that supports you to stay in bad might be Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.